0: hey good morning everybody hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and I hope you all uh, have had a good start to the Christmas season I want to say hi to everybody watching online everybody in Bishopville and a special word to our folks at Pacala campus this is your last Sunday setting up and tearing down so not too long ago I was talking with a man um, who had lost his job and uh, that meant loss of health insurance and it also meant um, that his wife, who had a chronic illness, was going to be uh, really having to switch uh, care, medical care, and uh, really worried about being able to afford the care that she needed. And uh, it probably meant that they were going to lose their home, and, and just, you know, it felt like everything was crashing down around him. And he said to me, Pastor, as he, la- he laid all this out, he said, Pastor, it just feels like, feels hopeless, just feels hopeless said, I really need some hope. And we've all been there. I mean, maybe not in that exact situation, but there's been a moment in your life where it felt like, hey, (laughs) I just don't know what to do. And here's the important question. It's like, when you're hopeless, who do you go to for hope? And, And I think we can all agree that you don't go to another hopeless person for hope, right? Because two hopeless people equals a lot more hopelessness if you're hopeless you want to go to somebody who's got something to give some positive energy you want to go to someone who is stronger who is able to do for you what you are not able to do for yourself well today we're going to launch this new series called king of hope you remember when jesus was born the wise men came from the east and where did they go Following the star. They did not go immediately to Bethlehem. Instead, they went to the palace because that's where you would expect a king to be born. They went to a palace, to the palace of Herod. And you remember the question they asked. They said, Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. You see, Jesus is not just this cute baby in a manger with the animals around and the shepherds coming, he is also the king. He is the king who has come to be different than all other kings. He is the one who's come to be the king of hope. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the first Christians, when they began gathering to worship, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Gospels. None of it had been written yet. So they went back into the Old Testament, and they began to see passages that they had known all their life in a different light. And they read Psalm 18. If you have a Bible, you might want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 18, because that's the Psalm we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks. When they looked at Psalm 18, they said, uh, This Psalm is not just about David singing about how God delivered him, this is also a Psalm about Jesus. They called it a Messianic Psalm. Now, real interesting Psalm 18 is repeated almost word for word in 2 Samuel 22. And you might say, well, why would the Bible have the same story twice? Why would it have the same psalm twice? Did your mother ever call you twice? What did she mean when she called you twice? You better listen that second time. When God puts something in the Bible and it's repeated, pay attention. It means it's really important. And we're actually told a good bit of background about this psalm. We're told in 2 Samuel... 22.1, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So I want you to think about everything that David had gone through. You know, David started out as this boy hero, probably 12, 13. He kills Goliath. He quickly becomes a military leader. He has, he wins battles. And and he becomes more popular than the king. The king sees him as a threat. And so for about six or seven years, David is on the run. He, he is under threat of imminent death. Do you think David ever felt backed up into a hopeless situation on the run from Saul? And when Saul dies, David becomes the king. But he's only part, a king of part of the kingdom. He has to, has to fight To be able to become king of all the kingdom and then the other nations around him attack him he has to defend his country and conquer those nations and then his own son absalom incites a rebellion against his dad and and there is a civil war and he has to see his own son killed to end this civil war and then there is constant uprisings, people unhappy with him, and these uprisings have to be put down. David's whole life is a battle. you think he ever knew those moments of hopelessness? Do you ever think he got tired of fighting the battles? So David's got something to tell us about hope. And as we look at this psalm over the next several weeks, the first thing we want to look at is how David begins his search for hope. And this is the big idea for the morning. You might want to write this down. The big idea for the morning is you cry out to the one who can actually help you. When you feel hopeless, cry out to the one who can actually help you. Not just somebody else who's going through a hard time. You can get some support, but cry out to somebody who can help you. So let's start moving through Psalm 18, the first six verses. We're going to move almost phrase by phrase. And the first thing we're going to see as we start to explore this psalm is you need to know who you're talking to. You need to know who you're talking to. So there's a man and a wife, and they are driving to the beach in separate cars. And they come to a town that is known as a speed trap. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the town, but it rhymes with Burbyville. (laughs) And as they go through this town, both of them are stopped by the police. This is before cell phones, when they finally get to the beach, the wife gets out of the car, husband gets out of the car, and the wife says, I can't believe we both got stopped for speeding, and we both got a ticket. And the husband says, well, actually... I didn't get a ticket. And the wife says, what? How come I got a ticket and you didn't get a ticket? And the husband said, well, what did you say to the policeman when he stopped you? And she said, I rolled down the window and I said, what are you stopping me for? And she said to her husband, what did you say to the policeman? Well, I rolled down my window and I said, officer, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention I know I'm speeding. I, I, I apologize. I deserve the ticket that you gave me, or you're going to give me. She looked at him. She said, I just want you to know I hate you. Now, you may wonder who that couple is, and I'm not going to tell you. So when you cry out, you need to know who you're talking to and what kind of authority, what kind of power they have. Listen to how David begins out his cry for help, for hope. He starts out by saying in verse 1 of Psalm 18, I love you, Lord. Before he even describes his troubles, before he says a word about what he wants from God, he starts by saying, I love you, Lord. Now, something real interesting. In Hebrew, the word love is a rare word called "rāma." It is used in the Old Testament to describe God's compassion toward his people. But there is one time here in the Old Testament where it talks about a person having compassion for God. Now think with me about this. You know that any healthy relationship requires the active emotional participation of both parties. And when there's not active emotional participation of both parties, that relationship becomes dysfunctional. If you want a healthy relationship with God, it requires you to be emotionally invested toward our Heavenly Father. I can imagine David's prayers going something like this. God, I don't know how you do what you do. How do you listen to the prayers of all these people who only want something from you and they don't want anything for you? God, how do you put up with all these people who say that they are your followers and then they don't follow? God, how do you deal with people who put your name on things that you want nothing to do with? David is invested in, in his relationship with his heavenly father. Hear what he's teaching us. Before the moment of hopelessness hits, it helps to have a relationship with the one who can give you hope. In the middle of a crisis, it's tough to actually begin your relationship with God. It's not impossible, but it is tough. That's why today, if you're kind of on the fence and you're thinking, I think, you know, one day I might wanna follow Jesus, let me encourage you, do it now, because the moment of crisis will come and you will need to know your heavenly father. Start investing in that relationship now. Now, what David is about to do is he's going to unpack a series of military uh, pictures, illusions, which describe God. Well, he's a military man. He's a soldier. It makes sense. But I want you to listen to these. He starts out by saying, the Lord is my strength. God is my strength. You think there was ever a time in battle when David was like tired and it's like, I don't know how I can go on. And then suddenly he got a surge of adrenaline, a surge of strength, and he was able to go on and he recognized that strength came from God. God gave him strength when he didn't have any. And david says the lord is my rock the word rock here actually means cliff and those of you with a military background you know the best place the most strategic place to fight a battle is when you have the high ground the other guy has to attack uphill you've got an advantage in the line of fire that means you have an advantage that helps you win when you love the lord he is your advantage to win in life now he may redefine the win but god is there to give you the advantage to put you in a position to win david goes on and he says you're my fortress my stronghold my fort when when i'm under attack you're you're the one i can go to to feel safe and you are my deliverer. Now again, the the word deliverer doesn't really translate well into English. It actually is from a Hebrew word which means to escape, and we would not say, God, you are my escaper. What this means is that God is the one who makes a way out when it seems like there is no way. Rabbits live in communities, not just burrows. And a community of burrows is known as a warren. And every warren, community of rabbits, has multiple entrances and exits, why? Because if the fox comes to one, the little bunnies can escape out the back. That's what God does for us. Now, a couple of important things to remember. God's way of escape may not be On your timing in other words you may be saying okay God I need to get out of this now and God says I'm gonna get you out of it but you're gonna have to wait a little while and here's sometimes the hardest thing even for Christians to believe if you are a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus God's ultimate escape for you might be death you have said it so have I Well, he is now in a better place. See, if if you're a follower of Jesus, you really understand this earth is good, life is good, heaven is better. Your best day on earth will be no comparison to your worst day in heaven. The worst day in heaven will be great. I don't even know what the worst day of heaven is. It's a perfect place. You probably won't have a worst day. Isn't that great to think about? Wouldn't it be great to wake up one day, not have any anxiety? By the way, do we sleep in heaven? I've never thought about that before. But you get to live without anxiety or worry. You get to live without thinking about your finances or your kids. It's, it's, it's all taken care of. And some of you won't know what to do. That's why you'll need to praise God for a while to figure out what to do. And you'll say, I just don't know if I'm comfortable with the whole idea of death being the ultimate escape. Okay, I get that. And by the way, don't choose that escape for yourself. God will provide the time. But what that means is you get to live in hope. God is our deliverer. He goes on, he says, my God is my rock. Now I'm told that Eskimos have something like 78 different words for snow. In Hebrew, there's like 12 different words for rock. Have you ever seen pictures of Palestine? It's a rocky place. And what does it mean here? Here he's talking about great big rocks, kind of sit out there falling off of mountains. Imagine you're out fighting this battle. Remember, all combat in the Bible is hand to hand, there's no laser guided bomb. And so you're in this hand to hand combat situation, and a sandstorm comes up. Do you keep fighting in the sandstorm? Only if you're Carolina. Oh, come on. You know what? Now, I have picked on them all season. I needed to give them that, didn't I? Yeah, some of the Clemson fans says, no, no, you didn't. Okay. So, no, you don't fight in a sandstorm. What you do, you, you, the battle stops, and enemy and friend alike get behind a rock in the lee of the wind, because in a, anybody ever been in a sandstorm? I know some of you have, where that that sand comes, and it's like a thousand pinpricks attacking you all at once. You stay out in it, it's going to tear your flesh off. So you get behind that. It, It means whatever storm is howling, God stands between you and that storm. David's given us all this incredible imagery, and he says, in whom I take refuge. Refuge is back to this whole idea of a safe place. I was talking with a woman She had the difficult job after her parents passed away of packing up their home, and it had been a happy childhood, and the parents had lived there a long time. She had a lot of positive memories there. She said she just wept and wept when they packed the last box. She told me, I feel like I've lost my safe place. And I get that. I really understand. But listen, our ultimate safe place is not a location. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Then David says, the Lord is my shield, my shield. This is a picture of a shield in David's time. Uh, You may be surprised. It's not made out of metal. It is made out of wicker, and it is wrapped up in strong leather, tied, and given how swords in those days uh, were made mostly out of iron at the time of of David, um, and they were clumsy, difficult to use, not very sharp— Uh, this would be an effective weapon somebody attacks you with a sword you can easily parry this because this is lightweight against the heaviness of the iron and and if somebody tries to stab you you can use this it gets caught in the wicker and then you can twist it and take your opponent's opponent's sword away if somebody's firing an arrow at you it can hit that shield and then that shield it will get entwine that arrow and and it it protects you, or if it's a spear, same principle, the tip of the spear gets entwined up in that wicker and it can be taken away. God stands between you and your attacker. Now, now here's the interesting question: let's say I'm in battle, and, and I've got one of these shields and I see the guy coming at me to attack me, and he's got his sword raised, and he's got his spear in the other hand, and and am I afraid that he's coming? Yes, I'm afraid. But just because I'm afraid doesn't mean I don't have a shield. Just because you're afraid doesn't mean God is not standing between you and the attack. The Lord is my shield. And the horn of my salvation. We don't talk like that. But in the Bible, horn always means power. You think about it, it makes sense. If, if, if you're drowning, you need someone to save you who is stronger than you, who can pull you to safety, who has a power you are lacking. And that's what it means for God, for Jesus to be the horn of our salvation. That's why the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Because he faced sin and death and then he conquered it. Uh, You you hear all these military metaphors that keep unpacking? David goes on and he says, God is my stronghold. We're, We're back to that whole idea of a secure height. It echoes that idea of cliff and then in verse 3 David says I called or I cried out to the Lord who is worthy of praise David knows who he's talking to he's talking to God who is worthy of being lifted up that's what it means to praise and not just lift up your hands it means to put God in the place of priority to praise God means you understand he is God and you're not one devotion I read said the healthiest thing you can do every morning while you're brushing your teeth is look in the mirror and say, God is God and I'm not him. Now remember, David is singing this, thinking about all of his life, how God has come through over and over. And he says, and I have been saved from my enemies. Every time I was under attack, every time I felt hopeless, God came through. Now, before we go into the next two elements of crying out to God, I wanna ask you a couple of questions real quick. First question, when does God come through for you? When does God come through for you? When did you feel hopeless and God showed up? When did you feel out of strength? When did you need a safe place? When did you need something to stand between you and your attacker and God showed up? Second question, do you know God well enough to trust that he will come through for you? Do you know God well enough to know that when you pray he's actually listening, he's paying attention See, see, this is why we say to know that you matter to God, you really need to know Jesus. Not in the abstract, not as some principle, but you need to actually experience the presence of Jesus in your life. That starts with you asking him to forgive you and committing to following him, doing what he wants you to do. All right, let's move forward. This is the first element of David's cry for help, and that is, know who you're talking to. The second element is to spell out the situation. Spell out the situation. Listen, listen to what David says in verses 4 and 5. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David is combining two images here. There is the image of drowning. And there is the image of being tied up, entangled in a rope. That's what it feels like to feel hopeless. I could not find a picture of the actual event. This is as close as I could come. My brother used to do this to me. He used to practice roping on me. He pulled that rope tight. Anybody else ever been roped? Okay, a couple of you <laughs> holding up your hands. It's an interesting experience, isn't it? You were at the mercy of, I was at the mercy of my big brother who did not have the spiritual gift of mercy. <laughs> and he never actually drugged me on the ground, although he threatened to, and I couldn't get out. That's what it feels like to feel hopeless. And David says, that's how I felt. I can just imagine David in some of these hand-to-hand battles when it's like all of a sudden he's fighting one guy and another guy comes in his peripheral vision. Now he's got to fight two at once. Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? God, I I don't know, where's my escape? But David knows God well enough to be real about how he feels Are you real with God about how you feel? Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because uh, as Americans, we are not uh, as expressive with our emotions as some other cultures. And probably particularly as Baptists, we are pretty uptight. And uh, so when we really feel excited about God, we do this. But what we do when we shut down emotionally is we restrict our awareness of how God is at work and where we really are. So you need to be real with God about how you feel. You may need to say something along the lines of, God, I feel helpless, I feel hopeless, I feel overwhelmed. God, I feel so ashamed, I can't believe That I'm coming to you again about these same problems over and over look what David said in my distress I called to the Lord and I cried to God for help are you real with God about how you feel and then can you bring that to God in your distress and cry out for help I might be all tied up, but I'm going to call out to God. Now, you might say, well, of course, we're in church. Who else would you call to? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But I have a hard time, probably based on my family background, the way I was raised, all of that. I have a hard time actually asking God for help. And you say, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know this. Yes, but I came up in a family where you were supposed to be tough enough to do it yourself. Tough enough to do it yourself. You know, so even to this day, I will pick up things that are really heavy and Gina will say, Do you need some help? No, I don't need any help. I've got this. <laughs> and sometimes I actually will pray. I'll pray, God, I know this is a really tough situation, but I'm gonna get through it. Do you hear how stupid that prayer is? I mean, any prayer is good, right? Don't get me wrong. But to say, God, this is really tough, but I'm gonna get through it, the very fact that I'm saying that means I'm not sure. I feel pretty hopeless. And and doubled onto this is I feel a lot of shame because maybe like you there are patterns of sin that i keep repeating and i hate to use this but it just keeps coming up to my in my head and y'all are going to make fun of me for this but sometimes i feel like britney spears whoops i did it again is that not the ultimate dad joke yes okay and some of you over this side are going who's Britney Spears? <laughs> don't Google it. You don't want to know. Okay. But I mean, I feel that. I feel like, God, I've, I've sinned again. I did this yesterday. I've done it again. God, I'm so ashamed. So please forgive. And I will try to rush my forgiveness. You know, please forgive me, God, for doing that over and over again. This folks, okay, that's, that's not bad. But a better thing is, God, let me just feel it. So then I can finally feel your grace. Have you ever noticed when a baby cries? When they're taking a nap and they need to come out of the crib. You you go into their room and they're standing there with their arms like this. Do you know why they do that? They can't get out of the crib on their own. They need somebody. Mom or dad. Grandmother. Papa. To get them. Pick them up. Because when you are in a hopeless place, you need someone who is stronger than you to get you to a new place where you need to be. So where in your life do you need to ask for God's help? Where do you need to ask for God's help? Today, where would you ask God to really do something? Now real quick, one more Element of this cry for help it's found in the last part of verse 6 David says From his temple he heard my voice my cry came before him into his ears God hears our cries God hears your voice. Isn't this amazing? How many billions of voices do you think God is listening to right now? But he knows your voice This is the third element. God hears you. You are so important to him, he knows your voice. Um, we were in Florida for Thanksgiving, had a wonderful time. And after we did the big Thanksgiving family reunion, 140 people there, we, my side of the family, our part of the family comes back. And, and we, uh, we were at the ranch house, There was about 25 of us in the house. and Everybody's talking, and there's a lot of noise, a lot of activity. In the middle of all that noise, I heard a voice cry out. And I knew that voice. And I got up out of my chair, and I started to go toward that voice. Because that voice belonged to my grandson, who was waking up from a nap. In the middle of all that noise, I heard his voice, and I was going to him because he matters to me, and I had to shove his grandmother out of the way. <laughs> I did not shove her, okay? If I feel that way about my grandson, how do you think your heavenly father feels about you? Do you think when you cry out, he's sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When you cry out, do you think he's sitting there going, after the mess you made, you, you think your heavenly father, when he hears you cry out, goes, what have you done for me? That is not your heavenly father. He knows your voice and he listens for you. Now, the man I was telling you about at the, at the first of the sermon, he lays out all of his troubles and he said, what often hopeless people say, he says, nobody understands. Nobody understands it. And you know, we say that, I think it's a way that we try to give expression to our pain, but if you think about it, it really doesn't make much sense. Of all the billions of people who've ever lived, nobody understands what you're going through. Somebody's been through it. And when he paused for breath, I kind of leaped in and I said, well, I want to tell you some good news. There is someone who understands exactly how you feel. And he looked at me surprised, he said, who? I said, Jesus. He said, I expected you would say that. Well, I'm a pastor you know that's what I say and I tried to unpack it for him a little bit hey Jesus Jesus gets where you have been where you are Here, Jesus knew what it was like in the garden he prayed father let this cup pass from me this isn't looking real good and and do you think Jesus was ever entangled by the cords of death They bound him and led him to Calvary? Do do you think Jesus ever felt overwhelmed by destruction? Remember on the cross, he took on himself the sins of the entire world. Whatever hopelessness you feel, Jesus has experienced it. Jesus knows it. Jesus gets you. He understands you. And I want to tell you the really good news. Not only does Jesus understand the hopelessness you feel, but remember three days after he was dead, he rose from the dead, and that demonstrates he is the king of hope. He has the power to defeat sin and death and hopelessness, and he can be your king. So I lay all this out for this guy. He kind of nods, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to lead to prayer. Maybe we can start this next step for this guy. And then it was like somebody hit rewind. And he starts right back in about all of his troubles, about all of his hopelessness. And I get that. I, I, I get that. Sometimes sometimes. That You can just feel overwhelmed by the trauma, and, and you just got to tell the story again. And so you tell it again, and he told it again. And I tried to work the conversation back around to Jesus again, but he just kept going over the same ground, and then it hit me. This guy loved being hopeless more than he wanted a king of hope. Don't be that guy. Don't fall so in love with your hopelessness that you become a victim. Because there is a king of hope who wants to bring hope to you and he wants to begin this morning. So call out to the king of hope because he knows your voice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, Thank you for knowing our voices. I wanna pray for this man. I pray that somehow you would reach through that hopelessness of his, that victimhood of his, and you would help him cling to the king of hope. And I pray, Father, for all of us when we're hopeless, that we remember you are the king of hope and you hear our voice. Especially today, I pray and lift up to you people who don't know Jesus, that they today would accept him as Savior and Lord. And today, Father, they would find out that Jesus is our King of hope. I ask all of this in his name.